Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We continue our study, and it's we've broken it up a bit here and there, but we continue our study through the church. This being the third part of it, we want to look at church authority. And there's some things to consider on the onset. A church is not a church because it wants to be. A church is not a church because it's baptistic. The church is not a church because it has the right names on the signs. Uh, my wife and I remember when we were dating uh, and engaged to be married, that was all we knew to look for, was the right words on the sign. And you rarely ever found inside the doors what the sign said they believed. A church is only a church if it has the authority of Christ Jesus. Amen. Plain and simple, sounds ugly to the world, sounds ugly to the big box denominal institutions, but it's absolutely true. Can a man start a church? Our emphatic, immediate response is absolutely not. But a man can call out an assembly of folks together to believe or do one thing, which is the definition essentially of a church. But a man cannot spontaneously create God's church. God did that. And that is only perpetuated, and I'm going to make that word up if you understand what it means. It's only carried through time by the authority of God. He's as much involved in the continuance of his church, so to speak, than he was at the beginning of his church. So this outline is long. We won't get through it today, and I know we've got a herd of visitors today, and that is wonderful, uh, and now you have to come back next Sunday. You all are without choice because you'll only get half a sermon today, and I'm not giving the rest of you any of it in the afternoon. You have to come back next Sunday. Uh, but we do record a lot of things, so if you can't be... Uh, you can certainly contact us and we'll make sure that you have it. But here in Ephesians 4, we're going to read the first 16 verses. And, and, and really, we, we want to handle this gently because we're teaching this on the church, what is the church, and in such a way that if somebody has never heard these things before, they need to be able to receive it. Beating them over the head with, you're not at a real church, or there are no other real churches in Tulsa, or all these things that I know we've all heard, is not conducive to someone who's never heard it before. We need to understand what Scripture says. Scripture does not say the church started at Pentecost. Church does not say he's coming back again to start his church. Church did not start, the Lord's church that is, did not start in Matthew 16 when Peter gave the right answer to the questions Jesus was asking. You know when the church began? When the Lord said, follow me. He started the church. So consider this as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, and we know this is Paul writing, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. We're going to see the word called a lot as we study the church. With all lowliness and meekness and with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. And if you mark your Bibles, I'm going to tell you this every time. Circle, in love, underline, highlight, whatever you have to do. Because as the Lord's church, this is how we're called to conduct his business. In love. Whatever it is that we're called to do. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And then we have a parenthetical here, but it's a very important parenthetical for what we're teaching. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? 
He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he, that Jesus, might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints. This is the purpose of all those titles, of all those gifts. I know that as Baptists, sometimes as soon as we start hearing the word apostles and prophets, we jump right to, well, those are gone. Those are gone. The age of miracles is gone. The time of these things is gone. The church is still here, folks. This is the God that created these things. And yes, those things are not necessary for the purposes of his will in this period of time. He is still the God that gave those things, and he gave those things for one purpose, the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But, speaking the truth, put your highlighters out again, in love, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, here's the most important part of the text. From here to what we finish with. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. Hope you still got your highlighter. In love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we consider your church, as we consider now the authority, the authoritative part of your church, help us to do so in love. Help us to understand, Father, the scriptures that lie before us. Grant us understanding, for if you don't, we won't have it. Be with us this day, Father. Some may be hearing it for the first time. Some may be hearing it for the 100th time. But open up our hearts and minds, Father, to the application that is before us, to the importance of knowing what it is we've been called and assembled together for. Help us, Father, as we labor through the study, as we know that it is not complete at the finishing of the preaching, but it has only begun for the hearer. Help us to take this to the mission field. Help us to take this to our homes and to our Bible studies, that we study these things out as we're called to. And, Father, that we would know, that we would write it upon our hearts, that you indeed have called us to a great work. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There are three points to this outline, as mentioned. Uh, we're only going to get through the first part, but I'll give you the three points. Jesus provided the body. The Holy Spirit leads the body. The soul serves the body. Probably not the third point you thought you were going to get with where I was going with all that. But this morning, we're just going to get through Jesus providing the body, which for us is the contact point, the rubber meeting the road. For us, this is where we are brought into uh, so, quote-unquote, narrative. We are brought into the purposes of God through Christ Jesus. We don't choose it. We don't make it. We are brought into it. Jesus provides the body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a lot of reading and a lot of flipping today, but again, as I said in the onset of this study, it's important for us, especially with this subject matter, to understand where we can find these proofs of the Lord's church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Paul, still our writer, 
And it's almost as though he picks up right where he left off. So I want to read that last verse from Ephesians before I start in this. From whom Jesus, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto edifying of itself in love. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now, get this, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. What brought the sitter's family to Tulsa? It wasn't Charlie and Brother Thorne calling. It was God. And what brought Charlie here? God. What brought David here? God. What brought David Jr. and his father here? God. We have to wrap our minds around the fact that the Lord's church is older than we are and it's controlled by higher powers than we are because the war that we wage, uh, that we wage against rather, that we're defending ourselves or fighting in, it's, it's invisible and it's higher than we are. It's more powerful than we are and it's older than we are. It has been going on longer than we have been on this planet. God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head of the feet, to the feet, I have no need of you. I actually love these. I used to read through 1 Corinthians 12 and think, oh, this is just silly. Why do we keep running in circles? For the adults in here that are thinking the same thing, you know this is the part the kids will get the most? Because for the kids, of course, the mouth's not going to say to the ear, I don't need you. Zebi understands that. The Lord has broken his word down in such a way that even us nincompoops can understand some of these heavier principles. We need each other. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, for our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together. Again, he set it together, he tempers it together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. It's not necessarily a bad thing for us to consider this a, a, a practice ground for what the kingdom of heaven will be like. If we don't see what the kingdom of heaven would be like in worship service in the Lord's church, then we have no interest in it at all. Here, we understand, as we, we've been looking in our afternoon study of the Lord's ministry, we understand what the Lord said when one sheep is found, just a couple people in the corner rejoice. 
All the kingdom of heaven rejoices. When the woman found the missing coin, she told everybody, I cleaned the entire house. I found this coin. I really thought your story this morning was going to be that you told her to clean the entire house like we've been talking, and she poisoned you. I'm glad that wasn't it. But all rejoiced. And here's the same thing. When one of us hurts, when one of us mourns, when one of us has a need, we should all be involved. When I say in the announcements that Brother Jerry's moving and that we might be called upon to help pack or move boxes, then just like when I moved here, we should assemble together to the best of our ability to come together for our brother. We should willingly do so. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. You're not some useless part of the body that's never used. You are a part of the body of Christ that has great purpose. The entire body has great purpose, and therefore you as an individual member has great purpose. God lives and dwells within us and has set us where it hath pleased Him. That's almost terrifying a little bit. We didn't accidentally stumble upon this place, but He set us here because it pleased Him to do so. Ephesians 2, and I'll just read this one for you because we're coming back to 2 Corinthians in a minute. If you want to go to 2 Corinthians 6, that's next. Ephesians 2, Paul's writing there as well. He says in verse 19 through 22, Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we are built... The babies are fine, y'all. If you want to stay, you're fine. We are built according to the cornerstone. We are measured according to the cornerstone and the habitation of God through the Spirit. It is not an accident, beloved. Think of the church of Corinth that we're going to make a lot of references to through the remainder of this study. And we've talked before that in today's day and age, the way Baptists treat one another, there'd probably be some of our flock that would say, that church isn't a church anymore. That church is way out of line. That church has been off for so long, they're not a church anymore. It happens too often. But that church is written about here. That church was set together by the hand of God. That church was built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. That church was precious to Jesus Christ, who on the cross made it possible for those to be called unto its membership. That church was a church, and there's no man that can change that. Amen. Imagine that. Not being able to undo the will of God by words of any volume from a man. Got to wrap our head around this. The authority of God does not bow to the will of man. It never has and it never will. Man would have said it's impossible that Joseph would be ascended to power in Egypt of all places. And yet he has in our Wednesday night study. He is second only to Pharaoh. Man would say that David is so despicable in his act with Bathsheba and is not going forward and fighting with the men and his murder of Uriah. Nathan literally says, thou art the man. David is undeserving. Man's right. But God bestowed upon David, did he not? 2 Corinthians there, chapter 6. 
verses 14 through 18, we start to see the preciousness and the value of the Lord's church and her people. It says here in verse 14, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what, ha- what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. This is another part of the Word of God that it goes from simple to complicated on one lesson. Paul's very good at writing that. I don't know how many books right offhand he wrote either, brother, but he's very good at doing that in his writing because even the children in the room can understand that light and dark don't always agree. They don't cooperate. They don't feed one another uh, as far as power goes. If we were to turn off the lights in the back, these lights up here would not win the battle for the back of the room. There's a conflict there. It's It's a constant conflict that never changes. What will happen tonight around 6 or 6.30? It will get dark. And streetlights will kick on. Not here. <laughs> the streetlights will kick on everywhere else. And what do they do? They light up a small portion, but they do not light up the entire earth because there's great darkness that it is in con- conflict with. This is what's laid out here. Paul starts there with light and dark. He goes to righteous and unrighteous, and we start to see the doctrine of God come in because righteousness is imputed upon the believer through the blood of Christ Jesus. So we see again how precious it is. Not all have righteousness. And those that do not have righteousness are not in conflict with unrighteousness. They're in unity with unrighteousness. There is no conflict within What communion hath light with darkness? And then he goes again. What concord hath Christ with Belial? This is the accusation of the Pharisees that we see right now in our afternoon study. The Pharisees at one point said Christ was in union with Beelzebub. That he was in union with Belial. And Jesus told them, how could I cast out my own co-workers, my own co-laborers? If I was in union with him, there'd be disagreement with the actions that I'm actually taking. Check the fruit. What agreement at the temple of God with idols? And oh, by the way, we are the temple of God. How many idols do we have on our persons this very moment? Growing up Catholic, we had the St. Christopher medal. It was in every car. Even when I snuck off to college, which I didn't sneak off to college, but there was a Christopher medal hiding in the visor of my car I didn't even know about that my mother, superstitiously, mind you, put in there so I could get two hours north of there safely. We had to call upon a dead man named Christopher to get me there. These are the obvious idols. But how many of us will turn the TV on as soon as we get home to see how our fantasy idols are doing? We've got a whole team of fantasies, uh, fantasy idols raging battle for us at this very moment. How many gave in to the idols yesterday? Not too many Buckeye fans after a certain time of day, but quite a few people gave over to those idols. This is a great weekend for this point, is it not? Because Friday, there were a lot of idols. And tomorrow, there'll be some cyber idols. That our lives begin to revolve around these things. That is a warning. 
that our life is not centered around Christ. Now, I'm not trying to alienate any visitors because our members do it too. I'm going to do what you did, brother. I'm going to make a huge mistake. But services start at 10 a.m. We know this. We know this. But not all of us make 10 a.m. Other things get in the way. Main services start at 1045. Yet we have some members aren't with us today that they don't always get here by the time that we start these services. And this isn't to alienate anyone. This is evidence that something else has taken priority in our life, whether it's the McDonald's drive through or what we did Saturday night that distracts us from the priority of following God. And if we don't fit the description of, that he gave us for what a disciple is, one who dies unto self, bears his cross, and follows Jesus, we are not disciples. End quote, Jesus Christ. He said that. He also said in John 15, you can't do anything without me. Ye can do nothing apart from me. End quote, Jesus. I'm working on a message. I don't know if it'll make it to Caldwell, but it's probably going to the meeting at the end of the year. And it's hard. The idea of the message is that we actually do have a pretty good concept of what a perfect Christian ought to look like. You want to give the greatest example? Jesus Christ. We know exactly what the perfect like Christ or Christian ought to be. And yet many of us are short of it. And I was talking to Tate, and he's the pastor down there in Florida, and I said, here's what I'm thinking about preaching. And he says, well, I don't know if I understand. And I said, well, it's like this. The perfect husband looks like somebody who gets up early, makes breakfast for everybody, takes the trash out, does the dishes, and does all these things. But I said, in the flesh, I'm very unwilling to be the perfect husband. And it's not a lack of understanding. See, I'm getting both of us today. It's not a lack of understanding. I know what those things look like. I would know tangibly how to do those things, but I don't want to. And it's the same thing about being a perfect Christian. We don't want to. There's no other way to explain it. We know what it looks like. We know what membership to the church ought to look like. And yet, at times, our priorities reveal to ourselves and others, we just don't want to. Like I said, it's going to be a tough message. The church body is to be separate from the world, but together in unity, for we are governed by God. Why were we put together? For the goodness of His will, the plan that He had for His church. We were put together as stewards of a purpose God laid out before the foundation of the world. We were not called together to rest. We were not called together to uh, hide from the threats of this world. We were called together to be used. We were assembled together out and apart from the world for a purpose. And what phrase is repeated at least twice, maybe three times in our text? In love. So before we get into the actual specific purposes the Lord might have for Grace Missionary Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the very first one is to love. We were called together to love. We were called together to love. The easiest way to not end an argument is to run as far away from that person as you can. You ever think about that? Watching that Andy Griffith episode last night, and I thought about that. The episode where uh, Barney and Thelma are fighting. I know y'all have seen it. We're going to go as far as we need to until I start getting some head bobbing. 
and they're not getting along. And next thing you know, they've roped Andy in, and Barney's laughing, and Thelma says, what are you laughing about? And he's laughing. He says, oh, nothing. She says, what are you laughing about? And he says, well, Andy said this thing about how I don't need you. And the whole episode goes flying off in that direction. Helen Crump says to Thelma Lewis, she's getting all worked up. And she says, well, it's not like you to be so childish. Did you actually go and talk to Andy about this? And she, of course, immediately says, childish, childish. But this is what we do. A conflict happens and we run away from actually addressing it, getting to the bottom of it in love and putting it out. It's a fire. Putting it out. Instead, we run away and we cry, fire, fire, fire. But instead of warning other people, what we're really doing is saying, Isaac started a fire. Isaac started a fire. Charlie, look out. Isaac started a fire. Until it becomes like a plague. And apparently, when we ask the question, what do plagues do, it now results in legalizing abortion. You see, it doesn't end. With what he warned us about this morning, did anybody else think about Herod? Anybody else think about where we're headed right now? You know, Hitler was okay with it too. As long as there were babies he didn't want around, he was okay with killing babies. These are very dark times. The previous president got us out of who? And look where we are now. The church body is to be separate from the world, but together in unity, we have work to do. There is no need for a convention. There's no need for a pope. There's no need for denominational chains of command. Jesus Christ himself is still our high priest. He was and is our greatest example. He's our Lord and Savior. When he found that last sheep, that sheep was hoisted upon his broad shoulders and lifted above everything that she had fallen into and was carried safely home. He's still capable of doing that. And if he's not, we're not a church. There is none left. If he's incapable of protecting those that he was capable of saving, he's not God. He's not sovereign. Acts chapter 13 Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And again, I know that these things come across as severe, but we're talking about the authority of God. It's not going to resemble the authority of man. We don't have power on the same scope. Acts 13, verses 1 through 4. Now there were, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as we just heard there would be, because God gave those gifts to the church. As Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. It's an interesting thing that we don't see the church here in Antioch saying, wait, we've got a very comfortable situation. Whenever the pastor's out of town, we can fall back on Paul. Wait, if Paul's sick when the pastor's out of town, we got Barnabas. We've got a whole list of men who are qualified to teach and preach. We can't possibly be receiving this message from the Holy Ghost. The Lord wouldn't break up such a dynasty as this. But what were we actually called for? To be used. 
In love, they receive the message of the Holy Ghost. They pray over it. They fast. They lay hands on. And then we don't read the church at Antioch saw fit to send them forth as great missionaries so that, you know, the church at Antioch could pat themselves on the back. What do we read in the closing there in verse 4? The Holy Ghost sent them. See, this is the authority that gave them the command to begin with. We are local and visible. The church in Antioch was led by the Spirit to do the work that God had ordained to be done. Notice that Barnabas and Saul were made willing in the day of his power. They were commanded to go. The church prayed over it. They fasted over it. Hands were laid down. And Paul didn't say, wait, I don't want to go there. No, Paul had a passion for souls. Barnabas had a passion for souls. And if the church prayed over it and they were led in unity to do this thing, they weren't even considering getting in the way of that. This same one that in Acts 9 breathed threatenings and slaughter, as we heard this morning, toward those of the way, which was the slang term for Christianity. We have a problem in 2023, and it's called Baptist pride. You see, we didn't pick that name for ourselves. Did you know that was slander? That's what they called us, Anabaptists, because we insisted on proper baptism, which we talked about in the previous part of this lesson. We insisted on doing things God's way. We insisted on what we call now Baptistic methods, but they're Bible methods. You'll note in our afternoon study through the Lord's ministry, I rarely ever use the word Baptist. I don't have to. I'm reading and teaching the Bible. The Lord's church should follow the Bible. This is very important. We have no right to any kind of Baptist pride. It's good that we follow the Lord, but it isn't because we did it. It isn't because we made the right decisions. And it isn't because we got rid of all the bums who wanted to take us astray. We're all bums that want to take us astray. We were all in full rebellion of God. And if not for the grace of God, none of us would be here. Notice also how Paul describes the work that they were dispatched to. Look at, uh, flip back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And not that there's anything wrong with all the flipping, but if this is your first time here, I don't typically make everybody flip this much. must be a special day. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Who then is Paul? This is Paul writing. He says, who am I? Who am I? Who is Apollos? He came to them by letter over a conflict that they were having between was Apollos greater? Was Paul greater? <laughs> that doesn't happen today, right? Certainly Baptists don't have that problem still. Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom he believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Paul says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Before that last part of that sentence, you had wet seeds. God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. I love the way that sentence is structured because it kind of sounds like Paul is not talking about that what's being planted is not being anything, but the person doing the planting. So then neither is he that planteth anything. He is nothing. He is the one obedient unto God. And we here today say, well, I'm obedient unto God. I am something. 
Paul says he that did this thing that he was called to do, this was his reasonable service. He died unto himself and bore his cross and followed Christ. Romans 12 says that's his reasonable service. He's no pat waiting for his back. He isn't anything. He is faithful to his master, but he is but a servant. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. This doesn't say there won't be rewards. This doesn't say there won't be some sort of recognition, but that can only come from God, not man. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. God giveth the increase. Jesus is the foundation. From that foundation, like an ever-flowing well, springs the authority for his work and the blessing of his work. Without that foundation, we have but sinking sand. We have a work that cannot be accomplished. Gamaliel says in Acts, if it's not of God, it will amount to nothing. But if it is of God, who can stand against it? Amen. He said this of the apostles who continued to preach where they told them not to. The body sacrifice made it possible for the body to be empowered. Jesus told the church there in Acts 1.8, and I like to refer to this verse as the powerful promise. He says, Ye shall receive power, that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. We spoke last time in this study on the purpose of the church. We're be, to be set apart from the world. We are called out of the world. And we are to be sanctified for the holy purpose the Lord had ordained for His church. And here in the powerful promise, as Jesus is telling them that the Holy Ghost is coming, and we looked ahead and already saw that the Holy Ghost was used to dispatch uh, missionaries uh, out of the church in Antioch, we can understand here that there is a great purpose laid out for the sending of this powerful promise. And what is it? That we would be witnesses. It's in tangent with the Great Commission, is it not? That we would go out unto all nations, teaching them what Jesus Christ had done and who He was. What does it mean to be a witness? To tell others what we've seen, what we've heard, and how we've been changed or how we feel about it. That is our commission. And specifically with this lesson on the church, it is our commission to do it together. It is no slight to say this community needs us to be faithful to this commission. This state, this nation, needs the Lord's churches to be faithful to the commission. We are not going to see a great revival from a new president. We're not going to see this nation go into a different direction because we suddenly start flipping states red instead of blue. Good things happen, sure. They're still people. Fallen man, fallen women. The only revival source in the universe is God. Will we effectively pray as men that believe and long for the Lord's return? Will we beseech our neighbors to consider the gospel? Will we deliver the gospel? 
We are racing headlong to a time frame in which many won't have a clue what a Christian is. And if you ask some folks now, they'll give you a definition, but it probably doesn't line up. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to continue to say the previous generations have let us down? The previous batch of mentors failed? You and I are called to redeem the time. Blaming anyone else isn't going to do that. Redeem the time. Not to return evil for evil. To learn how to love our enemies so that we can serve our enemies. These are hard tasks. It takes a great power to be able to achieve these things. It's a good thing we got it from the Lord. I ask you to consider the church. Consider her authority. Again, if you're here for the first time and you're not going to be back for the other parts, we record the audio and the video. You can see Charlie and I. We'll make sure you have it. These are precious truths. They're not exclusive to this building. They're not exclusive to this membership. They're not exclusive, really, to the name Baptist. But it was given to the Lord's church only. This commission wasn't delivered over and over again, once in Rome, once in Antioch, once over in Boston. I was going to say Ann Arbor, but I won't. I have roots in Ohio, okay? It was delivered to the church, the only church. It wasn't delivered to Pope Peter or Pope Paul. It was delivered to fishermen. You ever think about that? If a fisherman wants to earn money, what's a fisherman got to do? If he wants to be successful at that field, and most of them didn't consider it a chosen field, they inherited the work from daddy. They got dad's boat. This is what we do. Think of John and James. This is how they got to where they were. Their dad had a boat. He took them out. They became fishers. To earn a living, to be successful at what they did, they had to get their boots on in the morning. They had to gird up their loins, and they had to go fishing. We can't keep bellyaching that we need a revival. We can't keep bellyaching that we're small. We can't keep mourning, oh, woe is me, there's only so many of us. we got to put our work boots on and get to work. May the Lord see fit to bless the seed that we will plant, to bless the waterer who will come behind. May we be ready to give him the glory and honor for the increase that he might provide. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to preach and teach your word. We're thankful, Father, for the many visitors, the many guests that you have granted to us over the last six months, Father. You have been so good to us, way better than we deserve. We're thankful, Father, for the opportunities we have this coming week with the outreach with the boys' home, as well as uh, supplying and, and fellowship with Caldwell on Thursday night. And Father, we just ask that you be the one remembered, you be the one heard, that we might be a blessing, and that we remember that it is a blessing to be used. We are thankful, Father, for the commission, for the work that you've given us, for the purpose of this church that you established. We're thankful, Father, for every part of this body. And we long and miss the parts that are away from us this day. And we ask, Father, that you give them safe traveling mercies. You bring them back to us at the next appointed time. That you be with our hearts and our feelings, our toes, as sometimes the truth comes apart of, of, from your word and it strikes a nerve. It gets separated from truth to emotion. We ask, Father, that in this hour we remove distractions, that we allow the word that's been preached to settle into our minds, Father. That we go and search these things out in Scripture. That if we're riled up, we go and try and prove it wrong. That we not just ignore it. There used to be a time where this was a nation of men. 
That they didn't just get riled up and then walk away and hide with their comfort animals, but that they actually found the truth and they sold it not and forsook it not. Help us, Father, to be men yet again. Help us, Father, to be riled by what we see in the news and in the headlines. Help us to be bothered that maybe this generation of babies will survive abortion because of the triumphs of the past. But what is quickly coming worldwide from what we heard this morning, they will not. Help us, Father, to be bothered by this, to be stirred up by this. Help us to respond to the call to get to work, to share the gospel, to mourn with the mourners, to hurt with the hurt, and to give an answer for the hope that we have. We ask, Father, again, that you receive all the glory and honor for anything that might be done. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.